Chapter 14 of Fairy Fingers by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 14 Diamonds and Emeralds. I wish you would go, Maurice, do for my sake, pleaded Bertha, twisting in her slender fingers a note of invitation. The Marquis de Fleury was one of the first persons who called upon my uncle, and he made a very favorable impression. Then Madame de Fleury has nearly crushed me beneath an avalanche of sweet civilities. I fancied that a hummingbird drowned in honey must experience sensations very similar to mine in her presence. Is it not the Chinese who serve as the greatest of delicacies a lump of ice rolled in hot pastries? The condiment with which she feeds my vanity reminds me of this singular and paradoxical dainty. If you penetrate the warm, sugared outer crust, you find ice within. But, as my uncle does not anticipate Chinese diet at the table of the marchioness, he desires me to accept her invitation, and, as you are invited, I wish you to do the same, that I may have some familiar face near me. Gaston Dubois will be there, returned Maurice, and so will the young American student, Ronald Walton, whom I presented to you. They are my dearest friends, Pray, let them represent me, little cousin. But Bertha was obstinate. Her character had a strong tincture of willfulness, the result of invariably having her pleasure consulted, and always obtained her own way. She did not relinquish her entreaties until Maurice, who had not lived long enough to be skilled in the art of successfully denying the petition of a person who will take no refusal, or of plucking the waspish sting out of no, consented to be present at the dinner. The Marquis de Fleury had learned, through his secretary, that Mademoiselle Merivelle and her guardian were in Paris, though the matrimonial proposition of the Marchioness on behalf of her brother, the Duc de Montauban, had been so unfavorably received by Bertha's relatives in Brittany and though bertha herself when she met the duke at the chateau de tremozon had treated him somewhat coldly the young duke was too much enamoured of the fair girl herself to say nothing of a tender leaning towards her attractive fortune to be discouraged by a passing rebuff his relatives hailed the anticipated opportunity of making the acquaintance of Bertha's guardian, and were prompt in paying their devoirs. An invitation to dine followed quickly on the footsteps of the visit. We pass over the days that preceded the one appointed for the dinner party. They were unmarked by incidents which demand to be recorded. The bond of intimacy between Ronald and Maurice was drawn closer and closer each day. Little by little, the latter had communicated the history of his own trials. His father's determined opposition to his embracing a professional career, his attachment to Madeleine, her unaccountable rejection of his hand, her sudden disappearance, and the mad pursuit, which terminated by casting him insensible at Ronald's door. 
and brought to his succor one who not only watched beside him with all the devotion of a brother mingled with the tenderness of womanhood itself but whose buoyant healthy tone of mind had infused new hope and vigour into a broken despondent prostrate spirit ronald walton was placed in an advantageous position in paris by the very fact of being an american his intellect talent manners person fitted him to grace the most refined society and coming from a land where distinctions of rank are not arbitrarily governed by accident of birth but where men are assigned their positions in the social scale through a juster higher more liberal verdict the young carolinian gained facile admission into the most exclusive circles abroad and even took precedence of individuals who made as loud a boast of noble blood and hereditary titles as though the concentrated virtues of all their ancestors had been transmitted to them through these dubious mediums ronald as the intimate friend of maurice de gramont had received an invitation to the dinner given by the marchioness de fleury to the relatives of the vicomte the young men entered madame de fleury's drawing-room together and after having basked for a few seconds in smiles of meridian radiance and being inundated by a flood of softly syllabled words moved away to let the beams of their sunny hostess fall upon newcomers maurice glanced around the room in search of his cousin she has just entered the antechamber said ronald comprehending his look her hebe-like face this minute flashed upon me while he was speaking bertha and her uncle were announced and advanced towards their hostess the low genuflection of the marchioness had been responded to by bertha's unstudied curtsey and the lips of the young girl had just parted to speak when she suddenly gave a violent start and uttered a cry as sharp and involuntary as though she had trodden upon some piercing instrument as she tottered back her dilated eyes were fixed upon madame de fleury in a blank amazement what is it my dear are you ill asked her uncle with deep concern bertha did not reply but still gazed at the marchioness or rather her eyes ran over the lady's toilette as she clung to her uncle's arm as though unable to support herself i am afraid that you really are ill continued the marquis de merivelle something has disagreed with you it must have been the truffles with which that pheasant we had for dejeuner was stuffed i toyed with them very timidly myself pray sit down my dear mademoiselle de merivelle said madame de fleury leading her to a chair which stood near sit down while i order you a glass of water she turned to address a servant but bertha stretched out her hand almost as though she feared she might lose sight of her don't go don't go let me look can they be hers let me look again madame de fleury as unruffled as though these broken exclamations were perfectly natural and comprehensible bent over bertha caressingly laying the tips of her delicately gloved fingers on her shoulder 
Bertha wistfully examined the bracelet on the lady's arm, and fixed her eyes upon the necklace, brooch, and earrings, and lastly upon the tiara-like comb, about which the hair of the marchioness was arranged in a dexterous and novel manner. Madame de Fleury was gratified, without being moved by the faintest surprise that her toilette had produced such an overpowering sensation bertha's emotion did not appear to her in the least misplaced or exaggerated you admire this set of diamonds and emeralds very much then she said complacently the fleur-de-lis and shamrock faltered bertha where where did they come from interpreting this unceremonious abruptness and singularity of the question into a spontaneous tribute paid to her costly ornaments, the marchioness graciously answered, This parole was a delicate attention from Monsieur de Fleury. Not long after he presented these diamonds to me, by a very strange coincidence, Vignon sent this dress for my approval. You observe how dexterously the device of the necklace is imitated. Can anything be more perfect than these lilies and shamrock leaves? Bertha hastily glanced at the rich white silk robe trimmed with the reveres of pale velvet upon which the lilies and shamrock were embroidered with some species of lustrous thread which counterfeited not only the design but the sparkle of the gems the marchioness went on was it not odd that vignon famed as she is for novelties should have chanced upon a dress which so exactly matched my new set it quite makes me a convert to the science of animal magnetism my mind you see was en rapport with hers indeed she says so herself for she could not otherwise explain the sudden inspiration which caused her to plan this trimming monsieur de fleury wanted me to have these jewels set anew but i would not allow them to be touched this old-fashioned setting is so remarkable so unique probably there is not another like it to be found in paris that is always vantage ground gained over one's jewel-wearing adversaries the marchioness once launched upon her favorite stream of talk would have sailed on interminably had not the announcement of new guest floated her upon another current i hope the spasms are going over my d said the marquis de merivale who was really distressed by bertha's supposed illness it was very clever to divert observation by talking about dresses and jewels but the truffles did the mischief i knew well enough what was the matter with you no no it was the jewels replied bertha who had not yet recovered her self-possession those diamonds and emeralds were madeleines madeleines ejaculated maurice who had approached her on witnessing her unaccountable agitation good heavens is it possible yes they were madeleines they were her mother's jewels and had been in her family for generations madeleine showed them to me only a few nights before she left the chateau de gremont i am sure of them i would have recognized them anywhere 
Then, at last, at last, oh, thank God, we shall trace her. She must have sold those jewels for her support. We must find from whence Madame de Fleury purchased them, returned Maurice, with a voice trembling with exultation. Madame de Fleury said they were a cadeau from the Marquis, replied Bertha. Come, let us find him. Let us ask him at once. Bertha rose with animation and took her uncle's arm. Where are we going, my dear? Pray do not excite yourself again, pleaded her solicitous guardian. Pray keep cool. Dinner must shortly be served, and you will not be in a fit state to do justice to the sumptuous repast which I have no doubt awaits us. Some of those novel inventions, perhaps, which you were so anxious to taste. I see people are not scrupulously punctual in Paris. It is ten minutes after time. Possibly we are waiting for some guest who has not sufficiently good taste to remember that viands may be overdone through his culpability. I must speak to Monsieur de Fleury, said Bertha. Let us get nearer to him, that I may seize the first opportunity when he ceases talking to that pompous-looking old gentleman who has the left breast of his coat covered with decorations. Well, well, take it quietly. Keep cool. Don't let your blood into a ferment. That's all I ask. Her uncle led her across the room, accompanied by Maurice. Diplomat and courtier were inscribed on every line of the wrinkled countenance of the Marquis de Fleury. He never took a step or gave a look or scarcely drew a breath by which he had not some object to accomplish, some interest to promote, an oppressive suavity of manner, an exaggerated politeness encased him in impenetrable armor and prevented the real man from ever being reached beneath his smooth surface impulses he had none the slightest motions of his wiry frame were studied when he walked he slid along as though he could not be guilty of so positive an action as that of planting his feet firmly upon what might prove delicate ground when he bowed a contraction of sinews worthy of an acrobat allowed his head to obtain an unnatural inclination suggestive of complimentary deference which humbled itself to dust and kissed the garment's hem straightforwardness in word thought or action was to him as incomprehensible as it was impossible he was a great general, ever standing on the political or social battlefield. Skillful maneuvers were the glory of his existence, and flattery the magical weapon never laid aside by which he gained his victories. Madame de Fleury was thirty years his junior. He had purposefully selected a young, pretty, harmless, well-dressed doll, as the being best suited to further his ends in the great world. He admired her sincerely. She reached the exact mental stature and standard which he looked upon as perfection in womanhood, 
and her absolute despotism in ruling the modes and creeds of the Beaumont were to him the highest proof of her superiority over the rest of her sex. Though he was engaged in conversation with the emperor's grand chamberlain, which seemed deeply interesting to both parties, Monsieur de Fleury broke off instantly when Bertha, with her uncle and Maurice, approached. "'You are so radiant tonight, Mademoiselle de Merville,' remarked the courtier, "'that all eyes are fixed upon you. It is cruel of you to dazzle the vision of so many admirers.' Bertha, without paying the slightest attention to these fulsome words, replied, "'Will you pardon me, Monsieur de Fleury, if I ask an impertinent question?' How could any question from so sovereign lips become other than condescension? The Queen of Beauty commands in advance a reply to the most difficult problem which she can propound. Bertha, with an impatient toss of her head, as though the buzz of this nonsensical verbiage stung her ears, plunged at once into the subject. That set of diamonds and emeralds which Madame de Fleury wears to-night were presented to her by you. Will you have the goodness to tell me from whence you procured them? For Monsieur de Fleury to have given a direct answer, even in relation to such an apparent trifle, would have been contrary to his nature. Besides, it was one of his rules not to impart information without learning for what object it had been sought. "'You admire them?' he replied evasively. "'I am delighted. I am charmed with your approval of my taste. "'I shall think more highly of it for ever after. "'The setting of the jewels is old-fashioned, "'but Madame de Fleury found it so novel "'that I could not prevail upon her to have it modernized. "'But you have not told me how the jewels came into your possession.' "'Oh, very naturally, very naturally, lovely lady.' They were not a fairy gift. They became mine by the very prosaic transaction of purchase. Maurice could restrain himself no longer. My cousin is particularly desirous of learning through what source you obtained them. She has an important reason for her inquiry. This explanation only placed the Marquis more on his guard. Ah, oh, your captivating cousin thinks they look as though they had a history— yes yes jewels of that kind generally have does the design strike you as remarkable mademoiselle de merivelle yes remarkable and i have seen it before i could not forget it i wish to know dinner was announced at that moment the duke de montauban came forward and offered his arm to bertha monsieur de fleury with lavish apologies for the interruption of conversation which he pronounced delightful, begged the Marquis de Merivelle to give his arm to Madame de Fleury, named to Maurice, a young lady whom he would have the goodness to conduct, glided about the room to give similar instructions to other gentlemen, and, selecting an elderly lady who was evidently a person of distinction, led the way to the dining-room. Maurice stood still, looking perplexed and abstracted, and quite forgetting that he had any ceremonious duty to perform. Ronald, whom from the time he had watched beside the vicomte's sickbed, had not relinquished his friendly surveillance, noticed his absence of mind, and, as he passed him, whispered, "'My dear fellow, what's the matter?' 
You are dreaming again. Rouse yourself. Some young lady must be waiting for your arm. Ronald, exclaimed Maurice, something very singular has happened. Madame de Fleury is wearing Madeleine's family jewels. Bravo! That is cheering news indeed. You will certainly be able to trace her now, never fear. But you must get through this dinner first, so pray collect your scattered senses as expeditiously as possible. Elated by these words of encouragement, and the hilarious tone in which they were uttered, Maurice shook off his musing mood, and proffered his arm to the niece of Madame de Fleury, whom now he remembered that the Marquis had desired him to conduct. During the dinner this young lady pronounced the handsome cavalier, who had been assigned to her, tantalizingly destroy, and secretly wished that the artistic maitre de hotel of her aunt had decorated the table with a less novel and attractive central ornament, for it seemed to her that the eyes of Maurice were constantly turned upon the miniature cherry tree of forest hothouse growth that rose from a mossy mound in the center of the festive board. The diminutive tree was covered with superb fruit, girdled by a circle of Lilliputian grapevines, each separate vine trained upon a golden rod and heavily laden with luscious grapes, bunches of the clearest amber alternating with the deepest purple and richest crimson. Among the mosses of the mound were scattered the rarest products of the most opposite seasons, those of the present season being too natural to pamper the artificial taste of luxury. Truly, the arrangement was a charming exemplification of nature made subservient to art, but was it this magnet to which the eyes of Maurice were so irresistibly attracted? He chanced to be seated where his view of the hostess was partially intercepted by the hothouse wonder, and he was seeking in vain to catch a glimpse of those jewels which had been Madeleine's. Bertha was placed nearer the marchioness, and the Duke de Montauban could not help noticing that her gaze was frequently fixed upon his sister. But, being one of those men who are thoroughly convinced that what the French term chiffons is the most important interest of a woman's life, he consoled himself with the reflection that Mademoiselle de Merivelle was deeply engrossed by a contemplation of Madame de Fleury's elaborate toilette, and that her absent manner had this very feminine, reasonable, and altogether to be tolerated apology. When Madame de Fleury and her guests swept back into the drawing-room, Monsieur de Fleury and the Grand Chamberlain were again closely engaged in some political battle. Maurice, after waiting impatiently for a favorable moment when he might come between the wordy endurance, whispered to Ronald, I am tortured to death. I shall never get an opportunity to ask the Marquis about those jewels. My cousin was questioning him on the subject when dinner was announced, but he seemed to treat her inquiries as of so little importance that she was quite baffled in obtaining information. Why not attack him in a straightforward manner? answered the positive young American walk up and plainly ask for a few moments private conversation give him the reason of your inquiries and demand an answer 
bring him to the point without any fancy fencing about the subject. I fear it will look very strange, replied Maurice, hesitating. What matter? Are you afraid of looking strange when you have a worthy object to accomplish? The information you need is of more importance than mere looks. It thoroughly amazes me to see the awe in which a genuine Parisian is held by the dread of appearing singular one would imagine that all originality was felony, and that to catch the same keynote of voice, to move with the exact motion, and tread in the precise footprints in which everyone else speaks, moves, walks, was the only evidence of honesty. What is a man's individuality worth if it is to be trodden out in the treadmill tramp of senseless conventionality? Maurice glanced at his friend admiringly. He had observed on more than one occasion that although Ronald was thoroughly versed in all the nicest rules of etiquette, he had a way of breaking through them at his pleasure, and always so gracefully that his waving of ceremony could never be set down to ignorance or ill-breeding. The vicomte literally and without delay followed his friend's advice, and soon succeeded in drawing Monsieur de Fleury aside. Permit me to explain to you Mademoiselle de Merivelle's anxiety about those jewels, said Maurice. You have, perhaps, heard the name of Mademoiselle Madeleine de Gremont, my cousin on my father's side. Some six weeks ago, she suddenly left the Chateau de Gremont and has not communicated with her family since those jewels were hers she must have sold them we are exceedingly anxious to discover her present residence and to induce her to return to my grandmother's protection if you could inform me from whence those jewels came it would facilitate my search the marquis had no definite motive for concealment beyond the dictates of his habitual caution this explanation satisfied him in regard to the reasons which prompted inquiry and being desirous of getting rid of maurice and of resuming the conversation he had interrupted replied with an assumption of cordiality it gives me great pleasure to be the medium of rendering the slightest service to your illustrious family those diamonds were brought to me by the Jew Enrique, from whom I now and then make purchases. I did not inquire in what manner they came into his possession, but not intending to be cheated as to their precise worth, I had them taken to Kramer in the Rue Neuve de Saint-Augustine, and a value placed upon them. I paid Enrique the price those trustworthy jewellers suggested instead of the exorbitant one he demanded. This is all the information I am able to afford you on the subject. May I beg you to favour me with the address of this Enrique? Certainly, certainly, with pleasure, but I warn you that you will not get much out of him. He is the closest Israelite imaginable, and a golden ointment is the only open sesame to his lips. Monsieur de Fleury wrote Enrique's street and number on his card and handed it to Maurice. Meanwhile, Gaston de Bois, in spite of the pertinacious attentions 
of the Duke de Montauban had approached Bertha and would have drawn her into conversation had she not exultingly communicated to him the discovery she had made concerning Madeleine's jewels. Was it the sudden mention of that name which threw Monsieur de Bois into a state of almost uncontrollable agitation? Why did he flush and stammer and try to change the subject? and stumbling with suppressed groans over his words as though they had been sharp rocks talk such unmitigated nonsense why did he so soon steal away from bertha's side why did he not approach her again for the rest of the evening could it be that her first suspicion was right and that he loved madeleine if not why should her name again caused him such unaccountable emotion. End of chapter 14